0: Good morning. Ah, yes. Good worship this morning. Many of you are growing in your worship of God, and we as a church are growing in our worship of God, but God wants us to continue to grow each and every day, each and every week in our worship of God. And so today I want to invite you again to Look with me in the book of Psalms to Psalm 98, the psalm we shared before our worship this morning. While you're finding Psalm 98, a couple of things. Like everything else in our walk with God, worship is a choice. It's a choice that you and I have to make and sort of recommit ourselves to every day. We can't just say, well, I'm going to, you know, increase my worship or grow in my worship and then just sort of be on automatic pilot. We've got to wake up every day determined and, and sort of have a new resolve that I'm going to worship God today. I'm going to put him in his rightful place in my life. And I'm going to start there. One of the reasons why God has, I believe, led me to Psalms so often, and you're going to see in the coming years we're going to be in the book of Psalms a lot, is because of the significance that God even places upon this book. The book of Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament, okay? That says something. And then Jesus, while he was here on earth during his ministry, He quoted from the book of Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. So Psalms carries a very unique signature, if you will, uh, in the mind of God and even amongst the Word of God. It is the songbook of the nation of Israel, and it has become our pattern, if you will, of how we should worship God. In fact, if I had to title the message today from Psalm 98, I think I would entitle it Developing a Pattern and Passion for Worship. This psalm divides very nicely into three stanzas or three verses, if you will, using music language. In the first three verses, we are reminded that we celebrate a God who delivers. Then in verses 4 through 6, we celebrate the Lord, our King, the one who rules and reigns over the universe that he created. And then in verses 7 through 9, we celebrate the God who is coming again and will set up his kingdom one day on the earth. So three stanzas or three verses. And what I'd like to do today is go down through each of these verses share some things that popped out to me as I was studying this psalm over the last several weeks and months. And then I want to also pull out of this psalm four elements of worship that this psalm teaches us about. And then finally, to end with, I want to challenge us with a challenge that the psalm also gives us as well, all having to deal with worship, all centering around the aspect of worship again notice in chapter 98 of psalms verse 1 that even the title is a psalm (laughs) a psalm is simply a song of praise to God and there are 150 of them in this book and there are many others throughout the Bible that are songs of praise to God so the psalmist starts out sing To the Lord, a new song. We'll get to that later. For he performs amazing deeds. The words amazing deeds in the Hebrew speak about surpassing deeds. Things that no one else could do. Extraordinary deeds. Things that only God himself could accomplish. And then it says his right hand and his mighty arm are what accomplishes or performs these amazing deeds. These are symbolic of the Lord's power as our warrior king. He accomplishes with his right hand and mighty arm deliverance, deliverance. He is the God who delivers. This is something that we as the people of God should be mindful of every day of our life because it's how we even have life in God he delivered us he saved us he is a God who saves he is a God who delivers he liberates us he sets us free he gives us victory and we could celebrate every day of our lives and throughout eternity the fact that God has set us free from the penalty of sin through our Lord Jesus Christ, is setting us free from the power of sin through our Lord Jesus Christ, and one day will set us free from the very presence of sin through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we also need to be aware that God has not only saved us in that way, but that every day God can deliver us Every day, God can perform rescue in our lives and save us and liberate us and set us free and give us victory. You see. And so that's what the psalmist is saying and calling upon God's people to recognize. He is a God who delivers. And we should celebrate the fact that He can deliver every day. Notice verse two the Lord demonstrates His power to deliver. The word demonstrates is an important word. It means that we can be fully aware through the ample evidence that God gives that he's a delivering God. In fact, God wants us as the people of God to live in such a way that people can see that we have been delivered and are being delivered. And so we give them evidence by our own lives, by the way we live our lives, that our God is a powerful God. He is mighty to save, and he can deliver us and will deliver us throughout our entire life of anything that's got a grip on us except him. And he's given evidence of being a delivering God down through history, you see. Even in the Word, you go back to the book of Exodus, And you see the great deliverance that God gave to Israel out of Egypt and over and over again. God continued to deliver his servants. In the New Testament, when they were thrown into prison because they preached in the name of Jesus, he would deliver them out of prison and break them free and set them free. God has given people ample evidence that he has the ability, the capability, to deliver anyone from anything. In fact, verse 2 goes on to say, in the sight of all the nations, he reveals or has made clearly known his justice. It's not that mankind doesn't have enough evidence to know that God exists, to know in the reality of God and that he is a delivering God. It's simply that we choose not to To put it before our eyes we choose to ignore the evidence that god has given and that's even true of us the people of god we've got to be careful that as we go through our days and get caught up in all the things that we've got to do and want to do that we fail to pause and remind ourselves of all the evidence god has given us even in our own individual lives about his power and ability to deliver, to save, to set us free, to rescue us. Many of us could give testimony of how many times through our life God has delivered us, you see. And then it says in verse 3, he remains loyal and faithful to the family of Israel and that all the ends of the earth see or have observed how our God delivered us. Even Israel, the entire history of Israel, the fact that Israel even exists at all is a testimony to our God and what our God can do. He took one man, as we've learned through our study in Genesis, and made out of that one man an entire nation of people. Let's even bring this up into our modern age, okay? closer to the time that many of us were born, or at least in the recent past, about God's faithfulness and loyalness even to Israel as a testimony to who our God is and what our God can do. The Jews were scattered, even in this century earlier on, into all parts of the earth. And then beginning in the mid-1900s, God began to draw them back to the area of Palestine. And on May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation in one day. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said, can a nation be born in one day, in one 24-hour period? Yes, it can. With God, it can. The British troops began to withdraw from that area, and some of you were alive in 1948. You know this to be true as well. You can do research on it. The nation of Israel literally became a nation. You know that's never happened in the history of the earth? Never. Never. There's never been a nation that existed that that came into being in one day except the nation of Israel. That alone should always be a testimony and ample evidence to our God and to his ability and capability and it sits right there. In the Middle East, surrounded by its enemies throughout its history, and yet God has been faithful and loyal to the nation of Israel, and he will not allow those enemies to ever destroy it. He protects Israel. He watches over Israel. He has said, I will bless you and protect you and preserve you because you're part of my eternal plan. And just the very fact that you and I watch all of this going on around Israel and seeing what happens in Israel should be a testimony to us as even Gentile Christians every day of how mighty and amazing our God is. A God who delivers. Then, verses 4 through 6, we also celebrate him as the king, the king over all that he created. Notice he begins in verse 4 with these shouts of coronation. Shout out praises to the Lord all the earth. Break out in a joyful shout and sing. By the way, the words break out speak about bursting out. something is is uncontrollable I, I can't I can't keep it in any longer I've got to express how much I love my god and I adore my god and I appreciate my god and I admire my god and, and I want to praise him I cannot contain it anymore this is the kind of spirit if you will and heart for worship that God wants to create in all of his people that we can't wait to get to a place where we can worship him and literally burst out in song to our God. We can't keep it in. Then he says in verse 5, sing to the Lord accompanied by a harp, accompanied by harps and sounds of music with trumpets and blaring of ram's horns. God not only wants us to worship him vocally, God wants us to worship him with instruments, you see. He wants and desires music to be one of the great ways that you and I express our worship of him. Again, 150 songs, right smack dab in the middle of the Bible, along with many other songs contained in other parts of the Bible as well. God has always... Revealed to us how important music is to him and how he wants us to embrace that as well. He wants music that praises him and worships him to be part of our everyday life and of the very fabric of our our worship here at the church, you see. I love the fact, and we'll get back to this, the blaring of the ram's horns and the shouting. I think many times... Uh, we today, the people of God, have forgot to know what it's like to shout to the Lord. We keep our praises to ourselves many times. A shout of praise before, notice verse 6, the King, the Lord, the universal King, the eternal Lord. By the way, the word shout also speaks about a shout of triumph and victory. Again, why it's hard to keep it in is because when we have experienced the deliverance of God and the victories that God has provided for us, and we've seen All the victories that God provided the nation of Israel in the book of Joshua as we've been studying that. And we're going to finish Joshua off next week in chapter 24, that the only way they achieved victory and entered into the promised land was because of their partnership with God and God giving them the victory. The only way you and I triumph, the only way we are more than conquerors and that we prevail in this life is because of the Lord, our King. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so the Bible encourages us to worship our God, not only because he delivers, but because he is the king of the universe, and he's our king too. Is he our king? Is he our Lord? Many of us may have him as our Savior. And we appreciate the fact that our sins are forgiven and we enter into this new relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and he's given us his righteousness and we're glad for that. But many of us then live our lives appreciating him as our savior but never really embracing him as our Lord. And what does it mean to embrace him as our Lord? It means he decides, he leads, he guides, he directs, not us. We take ourselves off the throne of our own life and we put him, the king, on his throne. And we can't add anything to God. But we can acknowledge that God is already there by the way that we live our lives. And that's what the psalmist is encouraging us to do today, to not only celebrate a God who delivers, but a God who reigns and who rules over all that he has created, hopefully including us, his own people. And then, verse 7 through 9, we celebrate the God who is coming again and going to make everything right one day. Let the sea and everything in it shout. Let it thunder. Let it roar is what the Hebrew word means. You see, even creation is under the curse. Even creation, Paul says in the book of Romans, is waiting for that day where it is redeemed and set free and liberated from the curse it is under. And yet, even now, as it's under the curse, if you and I listen, even inanimate creation celebrates its creator. Along with the world and those who live in it, all the inhabitants of the earth, verse 7. Let the rivers, verse 8, clap their hands. Let the mountains sing in unison before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. This isn't speaking so much about his judgment over the wicked as much as he's going to come and set things right for all time one day. And that's what we can be celebrating every day is the fact that The earth isn't going to continue the way it is. The world isn't going to continue the way it is. It's not going to continue to be ruled by the people who rule now or maybe rule in the future. One day, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ our Lord, is going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and he's literally going to rule for a 1,000 years on this earth. We can celebrate that, and that's what the psalmist is encouraging us to do. And when he comes and judges, he's going to judge or rule over or govern the world fairly and the nations in a just manner. Everything that Jesus does during the millennial kingdom is going to be just and good and right. We're finally going to have a world leader that makes all good decisions all of the time for all people. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. That's a day worth celebrating and being mindful of every day. So what a beautiful song of praise to God. A song that celebrates a God who delivers, a God who rules and reigns over the universe that he's created now, and a God who is coming again one day to set things right once and for all. But I don't want to stop there. I want to drill down a little bit more, and I want us to be mindful of some elements of worship that this psalm teaches us about. And the first thing we notice in this psalm is that everything and everyone is called to worship God. Did you see that in this psalm? How universal it is in its nature. Everything and everyone is called to worship God. Look at verse 2. The nations are called to worship God. Uh, The whole earth, the ends of the earth, are called to worship God. In verse 7, the inanimate creation, along with all the inhabitants of the world, are called to worship God. Everything and everyone is called to worship God. So how do we practically apply that to us today? Well, that means that here at the Oasis Church, everyone, we need to to keep getting everyone to buy in to the essential nature and importance and significance of worship. We're not there yet. We need to get everyone from the little children who, by the way, under Crystal in the children's ministry, for those of you that don't know, they worship God every Sunday and Wednesday over there. From every child up through every teenager, through every young adult, through every middle-aged person, and, and on into you know our elder years, all of us here, every last one of us, no matter what our age, is to worship God in song. Every last one of us, no matter how long we've been saved, if we've been saved for years and years, or if we've just been saved recently and come into a relationship with God, all of us are to worship God and embrace our worship of him, which also then means that we've got to continue to get everybody encouraging them to come, to come to the services when they can, and to be here and yes, to be on time so that they don't miss worship So that means if you come on Wednesday night to be here by seven, so that when we start worshiping God, you are part of all of us here who are worshiping God because you understand the importance and the significance of it. If you're here on Sunday, it means you come here either by nine or by 11 and you're not still out there. You're in here to worship God. We haven't gotten everybody here yet to buy into that and we need to continue to do that because worship my friends is for everyone and everything and I'm not sharing this with you because I don't love you I'm sharing this with you because I do love you and if you're not buying into this you're the one that's missing out but I'll also say this You're also missing out on maybe an opportunity that you don't even realize you have every Sunday and Wednesday to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ for this very reason. Sometimes when we come to the house of God, we're not ready to worship God, we're not ready to sing, we don't feel like it. But then when we get around other believers who are worshiping and who are singing, we sort of get there, right? We, we get encouraged and inspired and stirred to worship our God as we're around other people who do it. And that's part of why God makes corporate worship an essential part of our walk with God too, not just personal private worship because God wants us to be together, lifting up our voices together because worship is for everything and everyone. Second element of worship you see here is that God is to be the focus of our worship. God is to be the focus. Notice in verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song. Verse 5, sing to the Lord accompanied by a heart. Verse 4, shout out praises to the Lord. Worship is to be to the Lord, and it is to be about the Lord. It is not either or, it is both and. When you and I are worshiping God properly, we are not only singing and praising to him, but we are singing and praising about him. And it's all about him. Worship is about God. And let me say this. In much of our modern-day churches and ministries today, God gets lost in our worship. In fact, in the last couple of years, even as I've been driving around the valley, I've even seen billboards that churches and ministries have put up, and a lot of them say something similar like, you know, come to our church. It's about you. No, it's not. That's the problem. It's not about us. It's never been about us, and it will never be about us. It's about God. And that's part of why these people get stuck where they are and never really make, you know, any advancement in their walk with God because they go to these ministries and churches where it's about them. I'll tell you how you get unstuck out of your life and how you get set free and liberated and delivered and all of that. It's when you make it about God, not about us. As long as I'm the pastor here, and I know as long as Nicole's the worship leader here, our worship will always focus on God because that's where worship needs to be. It needs to be to the Lord, and it needs to be about the Lord. The Lord needs to be put in his proper place. And the more we focus on him and adore him and magnify him and praise him, the better off we'll all be. The third element of worship you see here in this passage of Scripture is that worship is to be characterized by passion and exuberance. There's to be enthusiasm and excitement. The word sing here is used four times in this song. The very first word, sing. Then if you go down to verse 4, sing. The first word in verse 5, sing. Even in verse 8, the mountains sing. This is a word that speaks not just about Amazing grace. No. It's a word that means when I sing, I sing with everything that is within me. And even if God has not given you, you know, maybe the the most beautiful voice, then as the word says, then make a joyful noise. But guess what? Make a noise. Sing. Sing. Sing enthusiastically. Sing passionately. Why? Because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And then, do I have to say anything about the word shout that's also used four times in this psalm? Verse 4, shout out praises to the Lord. Break out in a joyful shout. Verse 6, shout out praises before the king. Let the sea and everything in it shout Look that word up. It doesn't mean yippee for God. It means to raise a shout. It literally means to put a ringing in people's ears. I know many of us maybe, you know, we don't don't like it too loud. And I realize we can get music so loud that, again, God gets lost and the meaning gets lost and all of that gets lost but there's also that element of God doesn't want us to keep quiet when we're worshiping him. He doesn't want us to be subdued. He doesn't want us to hold back. He wants us to let everything out because it's an expression of our heart towards him. And therefore, we should do it passionately and with feeling and with enthusiasm. We should sing and shout to the Lord, giving it everything we've got not holding back. You're, you're never, you're never going to have me come by and go, you know what, settle down a little bit on your worship. <laughs> and I, I know Nicole would feel the same way. We're, we're never going to go, you know what, you, you, you're getting a little bit too excited about God. You're, you're not going to find that here. In fact, we want more of it. I had someone tell me the other week, said, Pastor, we, I, I just, I so appreciated that one thing you said that I was going to say amen. I look at it like, well, then say it. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to raise, you know, again, we don't have to get caught up in the externals, but it's okay that if you get so moved again, you can't contain yourself, that you begin to express your love for your God. That's okay. If you can't do it in the house of God, where can you do it? Oh, sorry. One other element I'd like to share with you this morning, and that is that there should be hope expressed in our worship. Because that's what you see in this song. Worship should always be about expressing hope. The first three verses, what's it about? The hope that we have that God can deliver, that he can save, that he can rescue, that he can set us free, that he can liberate us. We're being reminded of the hope that God can change the equation of our lives or anyone else's life. Maybe there's even someone here today or someone watching live stream today. You've gotten to a place in your life where you have begun to tell yourself or let other voices tell you, you can't be saved. You can't be delivered. You can't be set free. You can't be liberated. You can't have victory over this, whatever it is. And maybe it's even the fact that God can't save you because you're too, too bad or too, too, too far gone or you've sinned too much. No. No, there is always hope with God. As long as, as we have breath, there is hope in our God to deliver us from anything, anywhere, anytime. And that hope is expressed in true worship where we are reminded through the songs of praise that we sing to God, that God is a God who's mighty to save, who can deliver, who can rescue, who can liberate, who can set us free. That's one of the great elements of worship is there's hope expressed in that, but there's also hope expressed in what's given to us in verses four through six, and that is there's hope in the fact that God, our God, is king over the universe. That's hope. And that's why God calls his people to say, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried about anything because if you truly embrace the fact that I'm the king of the universe and I'm on my throne and that I rule and reign and that I've got you and I've got this world, then what do we have to fear? What do we have to be anxious about or worried about? Do we either believe that God, our God is king and he rules and he reigns, or we don't? And worship is a reminder to us and gives us hope that our God is king. When we put him in his rightful place, when we acknowledge him there, then we are given hope. It's like, I don't have to keep worrying about this. I can let God have this. I don't have to try to be in control of things because I'm not in control anyway. But God is in control. I'll turn that over to God. I'll cast my cares on God. Why? Because God is king, and I find hope as I worship him that he is king and that he's my king and that I'm laying everything in my life down at his very capable feet on the throne that he rules from. Are you there? I'd encourage you. Let the worship of God not only give you hope that God can deliver you or anyone else from anything, anywhere, but that your God rules and reigns over this universe, that he really is the only true king, and that he's in charge, and nothing is going to ever happen to us that God doesn't want to come into our life. And if God wants to block something from coming in, as we talked about Wednesday, he can stand between us and whatever that is. That's who our God is because he is the one and only true king of the universe. And we have hope in that. My hope isn't in anyone who's ruling and reigning here on earth. I don't put my hope in anyone. I know that upsets some of you, but that's the truth. I don't care what party they are. I don't care where they rule on the planet. I don't put my hope in one human being. I put my hope totally in my God because he's the one who reigns. He's the one who reigns. And then we put our hope as we worship him in the fact that he's coming again. Verses 7 through 9 that things aren't always going to be the way they are in my life or in anyone else's life. And as I've shared with you many times before, as a person of God, this is the only hell we'll ever know. However long we live on this earth, this is the only hell we will ever experience. And for those that do not know Christ and continue to push him away and his love for them, this is the only heaven they will ever know. Jesus Christ is coming. It is a great hope for us. It's what the Bible calls a hope that we should carry with us every day. It's just knowing, waking up every day, going, you know what? Jesus could come today. And if he doesn't come today, and he doesn't even come in my lifetime, he's coming Because he promised he would, and we've been singing about the faithfulness of God for months now, reminding us that he's true to his promises, and he's trustworthy, and he's reliable, and he's dependable, and he's coming back, and we can live in that hope every day that my Jesus is coming, and he's coming for me, and he prepared a place for me up there in heaven, and I've got a place with him for all of eternity, and I belong to him, and I will always belong to him, and he's coming, and he's coming, and he's going to rescue me from this earth, and he's going to set things right one day and he's going to rule and reign over this planet for a thousand years and then when he's done with that he's going to wipe this heaven and earth over and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells for all of eternity and we're going to live there for all of eternity and and he's coming and he's going to set things right and he's going to rule this world with equity and justice and fairness like never before and he's coming and he's coming and he's coming and I live in that hope That's hope for us, and that's what worship does. Worship should give us hope every day as we worship the Lord. We have hope that he delivers. We have hope that he's ruling and reigning. We have hope that he's coming again. One more thing I'd like to share with you today, and that is if you go back up to the very first verse. I think the psalmist leaves each of us with a challenge. A challenge. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, first of all, there's nothing wrong with singing old songs. Okay? But God in his word uses this phrase quite often when he talks about our worship. And the reason he does is because he wants our worship to never grow stagnant, to never become routine, to to never get into a rut. He wants our worship to always be fresh and current so that we are creating songs and singing songs out of what God is doing now. And the things that we see God doing now. And and how he's moving and working now in our lives. Not how he worked and moved 10 years ago, but now. And God wants his people to always be open to something fresh, to something new, to something different, okay? So here's the challenge for each of us today. How can your worship of God hit the refresh button? How can your worship of God be renewed? Because God always, throughout our lifetime on earth, is always going to want periodically for us to hit the refresh button on our worship of him. And even in every aspect of our worship of him, whether it's our singing and praising, whether it's our Bible time, whether it's our prayer life, whatever it is, God wants us to be open to doing things maybe different Because we can all even grow and get into this new area, but then that can also become a comfort zone that we never like to get out of. And God continually wants to stretch us and get us out of the comfort zones that we create around ourselves to make ourselves feel more comfortable. And God never wants to leave us there. And that's why God says, sing a new song. A new song. Let me give an example of my own life, and we'll wrap this up. I've been studying the Word of God for several hours a day for almost 50 years now. Almost 50 years. God continually breaks into my life and says, now we're going to do it a little bit differently than what you've done it up to that point. And, and I literally then almost have a whole new way of reading and studying the Bible through what God does to me because God doesn't want me to even get in a rut even after 50 years of how I approach his word. He always wants to be sort of throwing some new stuff in there and he wants me to be willing to embrace it. I know we can all say, oh, God, I haven't done that before and... And God, that's going to be stretching me. Yeah, that's why God said, sing a new song. I like the old stuff, but time to refresh. So the challenge for us as the people of God is, how can my worship of God be refreshed? How can I hit that refresh button and make it new? And maybe it's even going back over stuff that you're familiar with, but approaching it in a different way. You and I all know that to be true even with the Word of God. You could read a passage of Scripture a hundred times, and that hundredth time you, you see it with different eyes than you did before. That's the way God wants us to approach our worship. You know, some of these songs we sing quite often. Other ones we don't sing as often. But God wants every time we sing to him and about him, to be like it was the first time. Sing to the Lord a new song. God wants us to develop a pattern and a passion for worship of him. Are you willing to embrace that pattern and passion in order to continue to grow in your worship? I'm going to ask you to, Close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and get set. Before we sing this last worship song to the Lord today, God, I just pray for each of us that, Lord, we'll be willing to open up our hearts and our minds, our heads and our hearts, to the significance of worship with you. And God, it's got to be both. We've got to embrace worship with our head, but we also have to embrace worship with our heart. It's got to be with our whole being. And God, we've all got to be willing to grow and continue to grow in our worship, to not be satisfied where we are, but to say, I know I can experience God at an even greater and deeper and higher level than where I'm at now. So, God, would you use even these last few moments we have together as we express our worship to you and about you to maybe seal something in our hearts and minds today, to solidify something in our hearts and minds today as we shout out praises to you, God, the God who delivers, the God who is king, the God who is coming again. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And let's shout to the Lord today, amen?